Welcome to the Learn Stage Lighting Podcast. This is the show where newcomers and professionals alike come to learn more about stage lighting. And now your host, David Henry. All right, guys, today and gals, you're in for a treat. Um, Got my friend Seth Shoemaker here. We're going to be talking about installations. And you know what? As I listened to this and I was just editing it down, this applies to you. This information about lighting and about planning applies to you, whether you're in a permanent installation setup or temporary. There's stuff you're going to learn either way. Um, it's definitely you know suited towards people who are planning to do a permanent install uh, or who may come across one in the future. But it's don't think that this doesn't apply to you, even if you're not in a permanent install situation, because you can always learn something from it. And I think there's some really good information here. Quick note here, um, as we get started, the Patreon, guys, I just recorded this. We're at the start of our Patreon, um, and I would love to see more of you guys in there. Ultimately, I would love to do this podcast four times a month, but I need your support there because it just doesn't pay for itself. Um, there's hosting costs, my time, uh, costs to uh, for audio plugins and uh, software, and you know it's not a lot of cost, but at the same time, um, I always got to weigh everything in learn stage lighting and in this business and decide if it's worth my time. And I've heard a lot of people say, hey, the podcast is great. They like it. They enjoy it. Um, but to make it worth my time, we need to uh, get a little bit of support on Patreon. So I'm not asking for a lot, but if you can hop over there, just contribute a bit yourself um, each month. And uh, I'll be mentioning you guys at the show, such as Taz, um, who is a Patreon, Patreon, Patreon. And then you will also have some other cool bonuses depending on the level that you subscribe to Patreon at. So I really appreciate your help there. And let's dive in to our interview with Seth Shoemaker. For those of you who are who are listening here on the podcast, we're just going to start rolling here. Um, I first met Seth. He was a church tech director. No, maybe a church volunteer, maybe not even on staff at that point. Um, and we were... We were both actually pretty new to lighting at the time. And so I was just going to start out because I actually don't know the answer to this question, but when did you first work with stage lighting? Was that uh, at the church or was it before that? So my first time in stage lighting was actually back in high school. Um, We had eight lights, all conventionals on dimmers with a two-scene preset console, which we thought was pretty awesome. Yeah. 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 and each show we had, you know, push this channel to this level, then this one to this level. All right, now crossfade. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so now we're in the next scene. Let's set that up. Um, and that was pretty much my lighting experience until um, until coming on as the tech director here at West Shore. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I often... I'm always, you know, in this world, actually, just to take a slight aside on the two-scene deal, it's like I'm always talking to people who are new with lighting, and, you know, the simplicity, and, but the amount of complexity you can do with an old preset console is actually pretty extraordinary it, compared to a lot of the stuff out there today. You know, like, you can get started and know nothing, and in, like, five minutes, you know, you're you're doing something. Exactly, exactly. I mean, you might not be able and, to control yeah. Intel fixtures and things like that, but, I mean, being able to switch between two scenes that you can set on the fly, you don't have to know how to record, you literally just push up some faders, and that is your look. The, yeah, the, And you can, yeah, you can have as many combinations as you want, too. Exactly. It's beautiful. Exactly. 
you know. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful and simple. So, okay, so that's interesting, but um, kind of what I want to dive into today is all about permanent installations because you run a company called Spire AVL who does installations um, primarily for what do you, what do you primarily do do you do mostly churches or is it a mix yeah so we're mo- we're mostly churches um, we're we do some schools and theaters um, but yeah I would say I would say a majority of our business is with churches so yeah well I mean there's you know if you look around the United States, there's there's more than a few of those out there. <laughs> yes, <laughs> to say, and so, and so, uh, one of the things I noticed actually after um, I parted ways and moved to Nashville, <laughs> and then proceeded to not talk to you for ten years. Until, Seriously, you know, a couple months ago, um, I I jumped on a tour pretty early on in Nashville with an illusionist and four comedians, which meant that. I was running audio um, and lights for... Oh, no, I wasn't running lights on the first tour. I was L2. I was setting up the lights. But I was running audio uh, and and witnessing the lighting in, you know, a variety of mid-sized churches, you know, anywhere from 300 seats to, you know, 2,000, and mid-level theaters all over the country. And when it comes to permanent installations there's a lot of places that have gotten it wrong <laughs> like there's so many bad ones out there yeah you know yep yep uh, very, very I'm much sure so that's something you see a lot yeah i'm sure that's something you see a lot and so what i really want to focus in on today is just hearing from you like okay how do we do this right because you and i know that you know with the church that you tech directed at for the most part they did a lot of things right with their systems. Yep. But at yep. the same time, there were, there were things that it just were like, were like, why did you do that? You know, where it's like what got sold and installed didn't necessarily match what the church really needed at the time. It's just, um, you know, why does that happen? Let's, let's talk about that. Okay. So, I, I mean, the number one reason why that happens is not knowing what your goals are for doing an install. Um so we try to encourage the client to actually know what they want to do with the system and not just today, but we try to say, imagine in five years or imagine in 10 years, what do you think you're possibly going to be doing? Because we can sell you the, the greatest equipment for whatever you're doing today. But if you see a direction change coming or something like that, it may totally not work in two years for what you're trying to do. And then you're stuck pigeonholing uh, all of this equipment that you spent a lot of money on into something Mm -hmm. that it doesn't really work well for. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, obviously that's as much as it's about serving your clients, that's about serving yourself too, because it leaves a bad taste in somebody's mouth when they're like, Hey, we just dropped, you know, 50 or a hundred or more, you know, thousand dollars on this system, you know, a couple of years ago. And now it doesn't really suit our needs. And so. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, we, we had a client, um, who pushed us in a certain direction to install certain equipment that we didn't think was really going to serve them well long-term. And right before mm-hmm. the install, that tech director left <laughs> and, <laughs> and the new tech director was super not happy with, uh, the equipment that was being put in, but at that point it was, you know, too late already. Um, so you, yeah. you definitely need to make sure that, um, everyone is having a, a, 
uh, a part in that decision making that should be having a part in it. Obviously, I'm not advocating for tons of oversight from all kinds of boards and committees and things like that, but there definitely should be maybe more more of a conversation than just between a single person. Um, one of the other issues that we see is when the people who are going to run it day to day are not involved in the decision making. Um, mm, so mm-hmm. we'll see something like um, maybe it's somebody on a board is like, oh, well, I saw that so-and-so used this console or used these lighting uh, fixtures. Um, and while they're fine pieces of equipment, they're not going to be easy to accomplish what they are actually trying to do. And without getting the buy-in of the people who are actually going to use it, when it comes time for the install, then the people who are going to use it are like, how am I going to accomplish what I'm trying to do with this? And, you know, it, it definitely yeah. makes their life more difficult then. So, Yeah, and that's a great point because I think, like, more than ever before in this world, um, whether we're talking about, you know, lighting consoles, video switchers, audio desks or equipment, speakers, you know, more than ever, like, we have more choices than we've ever had before for equipment, I think. And so there's, like, so many ways to get the same job done. Um, And, you know, so what you saw somebody else do in at their church or their theater or whatever they have or their music venue, like it could work for you, but there might be something that works much better that may even come in at a better cost. Yes, exactly. You know, and I, exactly. I yeah. I think that's, yeah. Sometimes the hot products are very expensive compared to something else that, uh, may fit whatever you're trying to do better. And yeah, likely will end up costing less than whatever the latest, greatest, super gadget is yeah that's actually a really interesting point because without naming names um i i name names from time to time (laughs) but i'm not going to name names here of companies you know there are some companies that especially as i've gotten into you know being at a lot of trade shows and stuff there are some companies that spend by far the most money on marketing yep and therefore their products are very very popular yes (laughs) yes And sometimes they're the right fit, but not necessarily, right? (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And, you know, there are a lot of things that go into selecting the right products that are the right fit. Um, I mean, the the one thing we haven't talked a lot about is budget. Um, Obviously, budget Mm, sets mm. a lot of your direction. Um, Yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, everyone has a budget. Whether it's, you know, $5,000 or $500,000, it's still a budget and it sets a direction. Um, So, you know, there there are uh, um, definitely considerations with that. But then, you know, um, how long are you looking to do this setup? You know, maybe certain lower cost fixtures will be great because you're planning on redoing your theater in two years again. Because, you know, yeah. you know, technology changes and so therefore you're looking to redo it on a regular basis. Well, then I would not spend tons of money on all the latest high tech things. Um, I might choose to prioritize maybe a really nice lighting console or something like that or 
um, some sort of infrastructure things that can grow into the future. Uh, whereas then we might prioritize less on uh, fixtures or things like that, that um, they'll still give you a really good look, but their longevity may only be three or four years or something. And, you know, when you're done with them in two years, you sell them as used and move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, recoup something. Yeah, absolutely. Another mistake that I see and talk to people and um, saw when I was running around the country with an illusionist and four magicians was um, was really that sometimes AV gets called in at the last minute, right? And so how early do you usually start talking to, to clients about things in the process? Like, or do you want to? <laughs> so normally when we get called in, normally is significantly too late. Uh, <laughs> typically yep. uh, things like front of house positions are already chosen. Um, lighting positions, audio positions, etc., are already chosen. Um, and mm. at that point, then you have to try to fit something into a spot that doesn't really work well, um, because somebody chose it for how aesthetically it was or something like that. Uh, when we like to be pulled in is early on a project, uh, with an architect or, uh, even if it's design build, like through a general contractor, uh, we like to be pulled in early enough in the design process that uh, we can make suggestions on where where lighting positions should be, where your text should be, so that they have good sight lines for what they need to see. Um, you know, where inputs and outputs should be. So, uh, like if you're a theater, to be able to put in a, a tech input, you know, in the middle of the house, so that as you're programming that show, you can see what it's going to look like from the audience position rather than just from some tech booth yeah. squirreled away. Um, you know, those are those are important things. And if you don't get some of those things, it makes it much more difficult. I mean, it's not to say you can't string, you know, a 200-foot DMX cable from your, <laughs> from your console or, you know, uh, st streaming ACN or whatever. But uh, it, it, just, it just makes yeah. it not as... <laughs> it, it makes it work not as fluidly. Um, Whereas if we're called in early, uh, we can, you know, sometimes prioritize lighting positions over, say, sprinkler locations or things like that so that, um, you know, you can't change the physics of a light beam. A light beam travels straight. An audio beam travels straight. Video travels straight. <laughs> there are things you can't, <laughs> there are things you can't change about that. Like I can't bend light beams around, you know, a, an I-beam or something like that. So like being able to say, Hey, I need to put this here. Um, and you know, whatever design considerations that means for the building, if the roof needs to go up two feet so that I can put my lights at a certain height, uh, if the stage needs to be higher, uh, which has happened actually a couple times recently where an architect, well-meaning decided that mm -hmm. a stage height should be one foot nine. Mm. for you know like That's a tight. 600 yeah. uh 600 seat auditorium one foot mm -hmm. nine if people are standing <laughs> means that by like the fourth row you can't see the person's face so yeah uh 
so then we talk through like sight lines and things like that. And we're like, Hey, so like, you know, the stage really should be higher. We really like at least 35 inches, but if we could have 42, that would be even better. And here's the reasons why. And, you know, in both of those cases, actually, uh, they raised the height of the, the platform. Then, um, it did mean that they had to raise the ceiling then, uh, the same amount so that we could still get lighting positions and audio and video in. But, uh, because we were in early enough on those projects, we were able to get that accomplished. Whereas if we were pulled in at the normal time, that may not happen. You may be stuck with a one foot nine stage. And now all of a sudden, unless everyone's seated, you're not seeing the people who are up there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what's the normal time? Like, like after construction started or, or not long before? I'm just curious. Yeah. Like so a- normally, like if it's a new build, like construction has already started, walls are already going up and they're like, Hey, like, you need to be in here to be pulling cables. And we're like, okay, so we need to design what equipment's going in first before we can pull cables. We can't just show up, pull some cables. And like, there's not a, there's not a set. You need this batch of cables, (laughs) Um, which I think there are a lot of people that, that uh, would hope there was like a cookie cut or something. You can just drop onto a space. Um, And it, it it doesn't really work that way. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. See, that's really great to know and to be able to share with people on the show here because like, you know, at, at the end of the day, you're only shooting yourself in the foot if you bring in your AV company late in the game. Yeah. Like, yep. like it's only going to cost more money. It's, it's not, if you call them early, it's like, there's no way it's even going to cost you more. It's, it's likely to cost you less because you can prepare for these things and know what, what you got to do, right. You know, ahead of time and, and actually be able to do it at the right time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and besides us, if you call us in late, then typically the electrician has already given you a bid as well. And then when we say, Hey, we need all these circuits, the electrician says, Oh, well I see change orders and change orders make me money and buy me a new boat. (laughs) So, uh, I, I have heard that phrase so much recently. <laughs> I think it's funny. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's true, though. Um, a lot of people look at change orders as ways to make money. Um, mm. And so calling us in early helps us avoid any of that. Uh, we, by principle, unless the client changes something, don't do change orders. Uh, and part mm. of that is because we try to get in early enough on the project that we can actually appropriately design things and think through all of the aspects of the project so that when it comes time for the install, we're not, we're not stuck saying, Oh, there's nothing connecting point A to point B. And you know, that's a $10,000 change order that all of a sudden you're like, well, I have to connect A to B. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, cause yeah, if there's not, appropriate time to design all of that you can definitely you can definitely end up paying significantly more um from the av side but also then from all the other trades that are impacted whether it's uh you know the framing people for framing a stage out or the electrician for running all the power or you know um 
you know, there's all kinds of places that things add up in, it may seem like a little bit here, but then it's a little bit here and here and here and here. And all of a sudden you have this huge change order that you were not expecting. And a lot of that just comes down to not having enough time up front to plan. Yeah. Yeah. So actually three things that I thought of three big mistakes that I see, I saw a lot when I was running around the country with an illusionist and four comedians. And then I see now when I talk to people, honestly, is, um, you know, the first two are kind of audio. The first is um, that front of house gets put in some terrible location, such as <laughs> under or over a balcony, um, in, a, in a closed room, you know, et cetera. Yep. Because, I mean, if, if I had a dollar for every church that I ran into that had taken their, their balcony front of house and moved it to a better position and kind of done it themselves in, you know, a... Not the most aesthetically pleasing way, you know, throwing the cable <laughs> over the over the balcony rail kind of deal. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, I would I would be rich, you know, because it it was like every church. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you, yeah, a lot of them. You just you know, as long as they could possibly see the stage, whether it's through a glass wall, <laughs> they were like the audio guy's fine, right? Yeah, and then the other big mistake, and I mean, at my church, you know, a few years ago, that that totally came up, where they were like, hey, uh, we're going to move you into this room, you know, cool? And, <laughs> and I had to be like, no, not not cool, you know? Yeah. And it was fine in the end, but but the, the pastors, you know, it didn't even cross their mind. They're like, why couldn't it be in this room, you know? <laughs> exactly. You know, and then the other the other mistake I see a lot is um, is house lights. Uh-huh. <laughs> Let's talk about house lights uh-huh. because I recently was talking to somebody, and you know, totally innocently, they just said, you know, hey, um, you know, we'll have the the architect, the electrical contractor for this project. You know, they'll handle the house lighting, and then you know, y- y- you'll come in with the AV, you know, and and handle the stage lighting. Uh, and I said, wait a minute, <laughs> don't sign any papers. Uh, and so enlighten us as to why that, why we shouldn't, uh, why we should have AV involved with the house lighting. Yeah. So house lighting is, is one of the biggest places that people like to skimp. Um, either they're having the general contractor special, which, um, may or may not be some sort of dimmable uh and that's in heavy air quotes uh lighting <laughs> lighting system um yeah. a lot of them now want to put in like zero to 10 volt stuff and whatnot and then when you look at the dimming specs like they're shutting off at 10 and 20 percent which means you know you're dimming your house lights and when they're still very visible they're turning off um mm-hmm. and by the way either not controllable from the console or not uh, well controllable. They do, yeah. you know, there are DMX to zero to 10 converters and things like that. And s- some of them work at, at varying degrees of uh, acceptability, but yeah, it, the quality of the house light greatly matters. Um, we did a, an install once where, um, the client wanted retrofit lamps in part of their sanctuary and, okay. and then we put in, uh, and that was like under balcony and, and whatnot. And then we put in, um, a higher CRI lamp over the main house 
And when you look at our pictures, mm. the, the <laughs> seats actually appear to change colors uh, because it goes from like a high CRI of like 95 down to 82. And the color of the seating just, it, it doesn't look pleasing to the eye. And so, you know, um, when, when choosing, when choosing house lights, you know, CRI, which I realize for LEDs is uh, questionable, questionable. Yeah. It, it, it works to an extent, but a lot of people cheat those numbers so that they look really high and they still produce, reproduce colors really terribly. Um, mm. and, and there, there are other, um, other measurements for LEDs that can actually show you much better how it's going to reproduce all the colors. Uh, but a lot of those testing methods are really expensive. And so people don't do it a lot yet. Uh, but it is coming thankfully. Um, yeah. However, uh, you know, we like to put in DMX controllable house lights, um, specifically ones that'll dim all the way down to 1%. And part of that is about creating that feeling of the, of the dimming that's a lot closer to a traditional incandescent, um, you know, uh, some of our LED fixtures now do like a fade to warm or dim to warm or something like that. Mm, so yeah, as yeah. they dim down, they actually get warmer to recreate that feeling. Um, and typically that's not an upcharge anymore. It used to be a significant upcharge. And now those LEDs are so widely available that it's just another one of the fixture types that you can choose. Yeah. So, so with house lighting, yeah, the quality of it matters. The dimming matters. Um, you know, how much house lights you have, uh, if you're doing, you know, you need to be able to light the space appropriately. Um, and there, you know, there are programs that can calculate, uh, using IES files, uh, which are a measurement that the manufacturers put out that show how their house lights disperse. And uh, it, it actually makes it very easy to show somebody how their um, space is going to be lit from the house lights ahead of time. Um, and it, it is really quite accurate nowadays. Um, oh, cool. Great. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, we, we actually use a program, a uh, free program called Dialux. Uh, that allows okay. I've downloaded that before. Yeah, yeah it allows yeah. us to build a 3D model of the space, uh, drop in the house lights at you know whatever height we've predetermined that we think they're going to fall at, um, and you know, and add some seats and say, hey, look, here's the uh, here's the space. Here's how much light there's going to be, um, and uh, show that it's going to be appropriately lit. Um, but yeah, it. <sighs> Not having appropriate control of house lights um, it is definitely a downfall. Um, yeah, yeah, it's amazing how often I see that, and I've seen that. And it, from what I gather, talking to people like you, it doesn't even really cost more as long as you get in there before you know it happens. <laughs> exactly. No, I mean our our house our standard house lighting fixtures are well within the range of any general contractor special house light and they look better and they perform better 
And so, you know, we'll still have the electrician run the power, you know, we'll, yeah, we'll still have them run low voltage. We'll terminate it so that it actually gets terminated, uh, appropriately, but, (laughs) 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 but, uh, you know, um, there are some things they're good at, some things we're good at, and uh, we try not to cross those too often. <laughs> oh yeah, electricians are yeah they're yeah. they're awesome. They they're yeah. they're really good at running wire. Like, exactly, s- super good at running wire and bending conduit and stuff. Yep. I remember one time I worked and uh, for a company, and uh, you know to save money, they decided to to not use an electrician, and that was fine. Uh, but, you know, as compared to jobs I've seen where you, you pay the electrician, um, they're, like, crazy fast compared to somebody who hasn't been running wire. And so it, you might look at it and be like, oh, they're pretty expensive per hour. But at the same time, they do it, like, you know, exactly. fast. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, they can, they can pull cable way faster than I can. They can deal with all that high voltage that they deal with on a regular basis that we don't. Um and, uh, you know, they do it at a very reasonable rate, typically. Um, and if not, just beat them up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So to wrap things up here, um, as we mentioned, you guys are over at AspireAVL.com, I think. Yep. Let's find out if that's the right place. Yeah, it is. Okay, good. And, um, yeah, as we're talking about, you know, things, if people are preparing for an installation, um, any kind of last words or recommendations that you have for people just to, to get to get the most out of what they're doing? Because ultimately, that's what you want to do. You know, you want to you, you don't want um, a building project or a you know AV project to to run wild and and suddenly cost more than you want. And then you also don't want to get the wrong stuff. Right. So um, you know, do that too. Any you know anything else on your mind as we're we're talking? Yeah. About? I mean, I I think I would just say. You know, find an AV contractor who will give you line item pricing on all the equipment. Uh, that way, you know that they are being upfront with you on what you're actually getting, um, and mm-hmm. bring them in early. Um, it as long as you have a direction um, or can come up with a direction after our first meeting, uh, it's never mm-hmm. too early to bring us in. Um, we just finished a project where we had a client who uh, we've worked with now for just over four years, um, which is longer than most, but they brought us in very early on the project and it was not a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we gave, we gave them a design early on and yes, it has changed several times since then. Um, but it allowed us to see where they were at, see where they were headed and, um, be able to actually get the appropriate things in the building. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it definitely comes down to, uh, getting an AV contractor in early. Awesome. Cool. Thank you for, um, yeah, thank you for all those points and uh, thank you for hanging out here today. Yeah, no, this was fun. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. It was a fun time. Great to catch up with an old friend and talk about installs. And, you know, I think, I think it does apply. Um, as I talked about in the, the start, to you whether you're in an installed situation or not the the kind of questions that you need to ask before you start an install are actually the same kind of questions you need to ask before you do any type of live production uh, that involves lighting whether that's in it within an installed venue or completely temporary 
uh, where to bring different types of signal, what quality fixtures you should use, all that stuff uh, uh, definitely applies across the board no matter what you do. All right, just to wrap up here, guys, don't forget the Patreon, learnstagelighting.com slash Patreon. We'll have the link in the show notes. And uh, it's a great way to be able to support this show and the YouTube and be able to, uh, so we're able to continue to do this great thing for you for free. Um, So I would appreciate it if you could join us there, support, even if it's just a little each month. And I will see you guys either next week or the week after. Um, It's going to depend on um, if we've hit our Patreon goal by the start of August, um, and uh, which is $150 a month, I believe, to and do four podcasts a month. If we haven't had it yet, then we'll do the podcast every other week. And, uh, you know, uh, my feelings aren't going to be hurt. It's just you're going to get less of this information. Um, if we hit that Patreon goal by the time that uh, August 1st hits, then, hey, we'll we'll move to four podcasts a month, and I'm glad to do it. So I need to see you guys over there. would love to see that and would love to have you help support what we're doing. I'll see you guys there. <laughs>